Hey, financially savvy travelers. Do you have a love for maps and keeping track of all the places you've been? Well, Awesome Maps offers a wide variety of stylish and informative maps that inspire you to discover new places and create new memories around the world. From travel journal maps that you can take with you on the road to design pieces for your home, each map is hand-illustrated by designers with a passion for illustrating and drawing. I just got my bucket list map and I can't wait to cross off the Great Wall of China later this year. Head over to awesome-maps.com and use the promo code THOUGHTCARD to get 10% off of your order today. Nadine White is an award-winning travel and lifestyle blogger and Amazon best-selling author. Her blog, The Sophisticated Life, focuses on affordable luxury travel, destination guides, culinary travel, and wine. Today, we're welcoming Nadine on the show, and we're going to chat about how we can afford more luxurious travel experiences on a budget. Welcome to the show, Nadine. Welcome to me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. I'm super excited to have you on the show. We actually have never talked about luxury travel. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's something that I am definitely, I feel like as I get older, it's something that I want to dive more into. So I'm super excited to get started. Sure. No, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, it's interesting in terms of just the title, luxury travel. Um, someone else gave me that <laughs> that title when I started blogging. I was at a blogger meetup and I was just talking about the things that I blog about just naturally, things that I did even before I started the blog. So visiting museums, visiting wine regions, um, going to nice restaurants and following a lot of chefs and um, winemakers. And um, someone that's a senior blogger said to me, I mean, you really need to market yourself. There's not many Black bloggers that are in the luxury travel bracket. And I thought, oh, (laughs) that's luxury travel bracket? Because honestly, I started the blog and just started sharing all the things that I love to do um, in my life. And so that's kind of how I got that title. And so, yeah, it's kind of stuck. And other people come to my blog and tell me, oh, I love your luxury travel blog. Um, So, you know, but I really do stress to people that for me, it's affordable luxury. I'm not a millionaire. I haven't won the lottery yet. So I am not spending millions and millions of dollars to have luxury travel experiences. So I definitely want to share with people how to kind of attain some luxury when they travel. Exactly, exactly. So what would you say are some of your favorite things about luxury travel? So for me, that means eating anywhere from a Michelin star restaurant or a restaurant with a Michelin-starred chef, to just going to the local uh, food market or doing a walking food tour. Um, I really, my goal is to visit as many wine regions in the world as possible. So if I'm going to a destination that has any wineries or wine regions nearby, then I always fit that into my schedule. And I prefer to do private tours now versus group tours and, and then accommodation. So I'm like OCD. <laughs> So besides the fact that I love great service and just great accommodations, I really um, put a lot of effort into finding a place that is clean and respectable, has great service. And that's usually at least a four-star hotel when I travel. So, you know, for people, they may have to decide if they want luxury travel experiences all the way from their flight to accommodation to the things they do when they get to the destination. And then also choosing the right destination to have that luxury travel experience. 
Right, right, right. So it seems like you have to really figure out what are the kinds of like buckets that you want to focus on your luxury travel on. Be- yes. Because our money isn't going to be that long enough to do everything. So you have to kind of pick. Exactly. Okay. Yes, yes. And I, I usually will speak to my husband if we're traveling together. And depending on like we went to Australia and New Zealand um, at, at the end of last year and it was 10 days. And we visited three cities. So we were basically on the go. We were never going to be in the hotel rooms, you know, based on our schedule. So I did not spend a lot of money on the hotel because we just weren't going to have the hotel experiences. But I spent a lot of money on the tours that we took to different places. And that was well worth it because we went there to see things. Do you know what I mean? And so we were out of the room from early morning to late at night. So again, that was like the least of my worries with that trip. Uh, But coming back, we were exhausted and I paid to upgrade because I just wanted to be really comfortable on the plane um, after such a busy 10 days. So yeah, people definitely have to prioritize um, what's most important to them when they're looking at the full scope of a trip. And it sounds like you're very intentional because in your Australia example, you're like, okay, I'm going to be exhausted on my way back and it's going to be a long flight. So let's do the upgrade. So I love that intentionality that you have there. Definitely, definitely. And like I said, I think destinations makes for a huge difference. I mean, Cape Town, South Africa, again, is is not expensive at all. So you can also go there and have a much more luxurious experience than um you know, other places in Europe. We, I just came back from Amsterdam actually, but we were able to stay at the W and it was amazing. It was amazing. And even though we were out all day again, touring, doing different things, it was nice to come back to a really comfortable um, hotel that the service was excellent. So I kind of lucked out. I wasn't expecting as much as I got out of that hotel thinking the same thing. I just want to be in the center of the city, be able to walk to everything access to the train station, but actually turned out to be a a wonderful experience. So I was happy with that. Love that. I love that. So can you give us an example about the differences that you found between doing a group tour and a private tour? I've done my share of group tours and, you know, they can be anywhere from half a day to full day to, you know, 13 hours. We did some in Australia that were literally 13 hours long. And you have small group tours, which I do like better than larger group tours, but either one, it really, um, you're lucky if you find a nice group, let's say. So there might be just one person in that group that could spoil the whole day for everyone. Uh, that's just maybe not in a good mood or is too chatty or, you know, is not respectful to the guide. I've seen all of that happen on uh, group tours. So I prefer smaller group tours because you have less of a chance of that. But if possible, if you can do a private tour and you just have one tour guide, one, you know, that's the driver tour guide all wrapped up into one, then of course you have their undivided attention. Um, they really have a chance to tell you about the place that you're, you're touring. Um, you can stay longer, you know, when you're on the bigger tours, they have very, they're very strict in terms of times. Okay. You have 15 minutes, get back on the bus, 10 minutes here, get back on the bus. But when you're on a private tour, it's more flexible. So you can decide, okay, I really, really love this stop. Can we stay here for 40 minutes and maybe we can skip the next stop? And so that's something else that I really enjoy about um, private tours. 
And I, and I also love that with the private tour, mostly the tour guides are going out of their way to make sure you have the most unique experience. They'll stop, they'll stop somewhere for you to take a photo. They're really, really are intentional with the kind of experiences that they're offering you. So I love that. Yes, I totally agree. Totally agree. What do you think are some of the common misconceptions that people have about luxury travel? Um, I think the main one would be that they just can't afford it. Um, I did, uh, I contributed to Essence a few years ago about obtaining, you know, luxury travel, travel experiences. And this was before I went to Thailand. And during my research, I realized, okay, so it may cost this much to get there, but I could not believe how cheap the five-star hotels there. And I actually researched Bali at that time too. I haven't been there yet, but kind of the same thing. Like you can just expect to have a butler in Bali. So if you can save up enough for just the airfare, or if you have a loyalty rewards card that you can um, gain points and that can go towards your airfare, once you get to those destinations, then it costs less than even vacationing in the United States. If people actually did, you know, looked and did a little research, they would find that they could go further on the same amount or even less money than, you know, travel in the United States. Right. And destination plays a big factor. And currency also, the currency exchange also plays a big factor in that as well. Yes. So destination, I would say it's the number one thing that will determine whether you can really afford a luxurious vacation. And, you know, which I'm, you share a lot on your um, your Facebook page, which is great, signing up for websites that have travel deals. And by the time you do the airfare deal, and if it's a place that's not that expensive, I realize I can do the private tours or the five-star hotel and so forth. So um, looking for travel deals is definitely a good way to, to get those luxurious experiences. Yeah. And I kind of imagine my travel budget as like this block, right? It's a, it's, it's this block. And within the block, you can kind of, if you find a good flight, a cheap flight, then you can move that money into different areas. You can do more, you can do more, maybe get a nicer hotel or go on a private tour. So even if your budget is finite, if you can move within the categories, you'll find extra money to do things, which I think is really beneficial. No, I totally agree. And the other thing, um, you know, rentals, Airbnb or whichever site people like to use, um, that's another way to have um, a really nice luxury experience. Uh, for my bachelorette weekend, my friends rented a couple of villas on actually on the Honegat estate in Napa Valley. We thought we were just staying in houses near the estate, but we we're actually on their estate. So we had a private pool, walked outside to vineyards every morning, um, had private wine tastings with them. And, you know, it was just so, so amazing. And that was a rental. I don't, I forget how my friend even came across that, but I've also done that when I was going to California a few years ago, the hotels, it was spring break. So it was really expensive, but I was able to find really, really nice Airbnbs on Venice beach and Santa Barbara. Um, so I have, it's not usually my first choice, but I have done that when I noticed that the hotel prices are a bit higher than I want to spend. Then I'll look to see what kind of, and I mean, there's all types of Airbnb from budget to luxury. And so that could be an option too for people when they're traveling to particular destinations. Right. And let's talk a little bit about the loyalty points. So it seems like you do a lot of hotel stays. Do you actually accumulate points with all the hotels that you're staying at? How does that work for you? 
Yes. So I am lucky in the fact that I have cousins that work for Marriott and Hilton. (laughs) So for me, I'm able to use their family discount. And so if I can find one of those hotels, you know, in a place that I'm going to, then that's usually what I'll book. And then I garner points also, um, especially Marriott points. I stay at a lot of the autograph collection hotels with Marriott are really, really nice. Um, So I've done that. And then I live in Atlanta. And as most people know, Delta pretty much runs Atlanta, (laughs) the Atlanta airport. um, And most nonstop flights out of Atlanta are on Delta. So I have a Delta Amex card and I accumulate a lot of points on that. So I use that for either airfare or for um, hotel stays. Right. Can you share a little bit about your travel planning process? Like how far in advance are you planning your trips? And do you use an Excel spreadsheet or an app? Like what's your method? Yes. So I usually have folders to start on my phone. And so every time I come across articles or somebody makes a recommendation on Facebook, I'll start building a folder from months before. So I'm trying to think I went to Amsterdam last week. I booked that trip in December early December, I actually booked it before I left Australia, I believe. <laughs> so um, that was about a three to four month window. And I think on average, that's what I usually do. Um, I had booked Australia almost a year before, but I didn't start like the heavy planning until about five to six months before. So I start, I have a folder and I start saving um, articles that are relevant to the things I'm interested in. And then I use my notes app on the iPhone, to be honest with you, and start building an itinerary. And then I'll get on my computer and kind of start typing out. But my phone helps a lot in kind of laying out the schedule. The schedule is very important to me. I realize I don't like to do full day early tours every single day of a trip. My husband kind of taught me that because it's exhausting. (laughs) So I kind of have a framework of laying out what I want to do and what days kind of it'll fit in. And in terms of price um, or cost, I usually don't have, let's say, a strict budget in terms of what I'm willing to spend. I start adding up, like say, okay, the hotel is going to cost this much. The tours will cost this much. And if things start to kind of, in my mind, go over what I may have thought I want to spend, I may switch to, let's say, a group tour versus a private tour. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I also feel like as you become a seasoned traveler, it's you kind of know what your budget is, even though you might not see the numbers. You have this feeling. You just have a feeling. (laughs) Exactly. It's just knowing, just knowing like where you stand and how it makes you feel. And you just know. The other question I I had for you was, when it comes to working with a travel agent, how does that work? Do they get commission off of you? Do they get money off the top? How does that work? You don't pay them anything. They get um, their commission from the contracts that they have with the different hotels and tour agencies, the cruise ships. So that's the great thing. There's no extra cost for you. I will say this is where there might be, how can I put it? So if you were to book it, uh, a hotel on your own, it may be a little bit less than once it's put into a package by the travel agency because they're building this package and they have contracts with all these different people. So they're actually maybe paying a little bit less than what you're paying them, but you're not outrightly paying the travel agency to, to do any work, you know, like do the trip for you. They're getting it the back end from the hotels and tour operators that they use. 
Very, very, very interesting. Okay, that's actually good information and good to know, especially since a lot of us are so busy right now. So having an agent is an option. And and that's the beauty about being a financial savvy traveler is that you have options and you should explore them if it's a good fit for you. So Nadine, tell us about your most luxurious trip you've ever been on. So I would say, actually, I thought about this earlier and I would say, Dubai would be up there um, in terms of international trips. And again, it's not it's not cheap, but I'm like, I'm going to Dubai. So we have to do it big. We stayed in a suite at the address on the Dubai Marina. We did private tours to, we were talking about the difference with group or private tours. So we had a private tour to Abu Dhabi for the day, which was amazing. We did high tea in Burj Al Arab, which was like a four hour high tea with views of of the palm, everything, like you could see everything from there. So that has been probably in terms of an international destination, my most luxurious. The second would be Paris. Like I said, when we went for our second anniversary, I really, we did a day trip to the Champagne region of France and we did a, um, a romantic boat cruise the night of our anniversary. And we went to Brussels for a day. We did a photo shoot <laughs> to my husband's dismay, but we did a professional photo shoot with views of the Eiffel Tower in the back and we got dressed up. And so that was really nice. Um, for close by, I would definitely recommend Turks and Caicos to people. It's um, it's not like touristy, touristy, like a lot of the Caribbean islands. And I'm from Jamaica, so I can totally understand that whole touristy aspect. Um, the hotels are a bit higher end. So we stayed at the Gansevoort, which was just absolutely fabulous. Um, so those would be my top international. In terms of domestic, Napa Valley to me is just, it just makes you feel special. I feel special every time I'm out there. You can go to the spas, they have amazing restaurants. And like I said, the last time we went, we stayed on a winery. So um, nobody wanted to drive. And so we're like, okay, let's just run a limo for the day. And so we just went wine tasting and eating all day in the limo. It's all about the experience. And that came about from the Napa trip because we were, Sitting in a restaurant, uh, I mean, it was, I forget the name of the restaurant now, but it was, it was a pretty, the service was amazing, in other words. And even though there was just small portions of food, the food was really good. It was expensive. But one of my girlfriends, like, it's all about the experience. We're sitting out on the balcony um, and it was really beautiful and a great experience. So we started saying that when we travel now, it's all about the experience. So sometimes you have to spend a little bit more to have that unforgettable experience. My question for you is, how are you balancing a career as a physician and traveling at the same time? Yes, people are usually shocked when they also find out I have a blog. They're like, wait, what? How do you how do you do all that? Um, it's definitely challenging at times. But for me, I chose the type of career. So I'm a pediatrician and I used to be in private practice where I worked Monday through Friday, late nights, weekends. And it was just, even before I started the blog, it was really stressful. So I switched from that and I became a hospitalist. So that's a physician who only works in hospitals. And those shifts are usually like what people are used to are nursing shifts. So they're usually 12 hour shifts um, and they can be daytime or nighttime. And it allows for a lot more flexibility in your schedule because there's usually a set number of shifts that you do every month. So without even using vacation days, you may just group your shifts one week and have five or seven days off. Um, or, you know, you can even group them even more, take only 12 hours of vacation, but end up having 
10 days off, but it's still worth it because I've never had an issue taking time off to travel. Thank God. (laughs) So, and you know, they're very into work-life balance at my job. And so even people who don't travel a lot that have families, you know, they go on, um, want to spend time with their family or go on spring break with their kids. And so we all work really well together in making sure we have a couple of doctors actually that do mission trips. One of the doctors I work with just came back from Greece on a mission trip. And so she was gone for two weeks for that. So it's really worked out well. I think you have to be, um, to use your word, like intentional, like what kind of life do I want to have? Do I want to get work six, seven days a week and only have two weeks vacation a year, but that's okay with me because I love to work and I make more money that way. Or are you willing to like kind of shift your career and your lifestyle so that you can travel more and maybe still make the same amount of money, but maybe a little bit less, but you're okay with that because your lifestyle is better and you're able to do the things that you want to do. And so in my point in my career, I enjoy what I do still. I can't imagine not practicing medicine, but I'm glad that I have a job that allows me to spend time with my friends and family, travel when I want to travel and, you know, do my blog and some other extracurricular activities. I also run a book club. So, you know, I I like to have the time to do all the things that I enjoy. I remember when we met at uh, TBEX and I found out that you're a physician. I was like, what? Oh, my God. So (laughs) that's so exciting. That's so exciting. And it's also inspiring because I know that there are a lot of people who have careers who are very demanding. And it's inspiring to hear that you've created a life for yourself where you can you can comfortably manage all the things that you're passionate about. Yes. And you're right. I mean, in terms of the U.S. compared to other countries, in terms of how much vacation we get, the hours that people work every week, it's it's really pretty bad. I have a friend who is an attorney and it's like she never sees the light of day, you know. Um, And then I have friends who are in private practice that it's their own practice. So if they go on vacation, they are losing that money or they have to hire someone to work in their place, which also, you know, is more money. And so, you know, they have to be very strict about when they can go on vacation. And if it's like a weekend trip, they're more likely to do it versus if it's, you know, 10 or 14 days. So for me, again, it's great that in my position, I can take two weeks off and it not be like, you know, a detriment to me or to my, uh, the group that I work with, I still get my pay. Because the working allows me to go on the trips. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, that is so true. You know, there's times where I come back home, home and I'm like so sad. But then I'm like, but I'm like, you know what? This job, though, is really making the meat, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, until I win that lottery. Um, I know, you know, I know. to keep the income coming in to, exactly. to provide for the trips. So. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Nadine, I know you're a big foodie. Can you share with us some tips for picking the best food experiences while we're off traveling? Sure. I mean, my favorite at this point are walking food tours. Um, I love them because you're not just stopping at the restaurants to try usually local delicacies, but if it's a good guide, at least, they're telling you a lot about the city, a lot about the the culture and the people, why they eat or drink the certain, you know, the foods that, that they do. And the one I just did, that, like I mentioned before, in Amsterdam was excellent. It was three and a half hours. We stopped in 
seven places. We were in one of the oldest neighborhoods in Amsterdam. And it was just, you know, it was just magnificent because he, he was from there and he knows a lot of the history. So we just talked about everything. Um, even from, you know, World War II, you know, we were talking about that. So it wasn't just about food. Um, so that's like, I think, one of the easiest ways to, to kind of get a taste of the city and the, the food and the food culture. Um, another thing is to do a cooking class. And I am not a chef by any means, <laughs> but I think it's a fun way to learn about the, the food and the destination that you're in, if you're willing to, is to do um, a cooking class. And the other thing I enjoy doing is going to local markets. So most places on the weekends will have a farmer's market. Some places like Melbourne has like six days a week. They have a food, clothing, like anything you can think of market. And so we, it's good to walk through those markets because you also get a good idea of what, um, what's popular in that destination, what people eat, why they eat it. And you can sample different foods. So those are my favorite experience, especially, oh, and if you go to places that have um, like, food stalls or food markets. So like in Thailand, they have the night market and they have a lot of the food vendors out there. And so sometimes that's like the best food. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that food trucks, those local food markets, I feel like sometimes that's just the best, like down earth, really good local food. So it doesn't have to be fine dining. Um, you know, usually when we travel, I like to do at least one fine dining experience. And then the other times I'm doing the food markets, food tours, cooking class, things like that. So I think that would be, you know, for anyone who's kind of interested in food or the history of food, then I think that'd be a great way. Or you can actually do your own. When we went to Brussels, Belgium for the day, I had done some research as to the best places for Belgian waffles and for fries and so forth. And I just kind of, we just stopped at like five different places while we were there to sample different local cuisines. So you can do your own as well. Yeah, I actually, when I was in Barcelona, I downloaded this app called, yes. called Bite Mojo. Right. And, you know, for 30 euros, they took you around a small area. And I think for me it was the Gothic Quarter. And they told me everywhere to go. Everything was pre prepaid for. So all I had to do was go present my ticket. And the food was delicious. When I look at my photos, I'm like, that looks delicious. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved your blog post on that. I definitely want to try that when I travel, because that is very convenient. And you can, I assume, go at your own pace as well versus if you're on a tour. Now, Nadine, I know you just published a travel guide called Travel Guides to Your Favorite Travel Destinations. Can you tell us a little bit more about your guide? Yes, I'm excited. Thank you. Um, I have collected and written so many travel guides because I realized that people, most people don't have like time to do six months, four months, you know, slow travel in a destination. Most people work and then take up to maybe two weeks at a time to visit places. So over the years, a lot of my readers responded to my travel guide. So like what to do if you have three days in San Diego, or if you only have a day in, you know, Napa. And I usually write like where to stay, what to do where to eat, um, or even just about day trips that you can take from the um, different destinations. So I had amassed like a lot of those over the past few years. And someone mentioned to me, you know, you should put those in a book. And I thought, oh, I, you know, because I think for people to have to search for things on your blogs is a bit difficult sometimes, you know? And so I 
picked 37. 37? <laughs> yes, I had to narrow it down and I narrowed it. Actually, so the reason I did, it's the first in the series of three um, ebooks. And initially it was going to be one ebook. And my publisher was like, there's too much material. You have to break it down. So the first one, like I mentioned, is uh, Travel Guides to Your Favorite Destination. And that's 37 travel guides, both U.S. and international destinations. So for instance, I went to Cuba in 2016 before there were even direct flights from the U.S. And I wrote like a lot of posts on Cuba travel tips, um, how I spent a week in Cuba because we actually visited different cities all over the island. Um, And so those were really popular posts. One of my posts for Dubai is also very popular because it's a first timer's guide to Dubai. And when I was going there, I found that I had to look in so many different places to just find out, okay, can I drink alcohol? How am I supposed to dress? You know, what about public displays of affection? And so I put all that into one post and it's done really well. So I compiled 37 of my favorite, but also really my readers' favorites, the ones that have done really well into one ebook. So you can get that on Amazon for $4.99 and have all these travel guides at your disposal. Um, so I'm really excited because it made the Amazon bestsellers list the first day it came out. As you know, I mean, the support from your readers and followers is what keeps me going, you know, yes, and keeps pushing yes. me because people respond so much to the things that I write about. So the second one that's going to be out is actually um, on U.S. wine regions. So I think a lot of people, again, are intimidated by wine tasting or visiting wine regions when they travel, even if they love wine. So I pretty much break down the major wine regions all across the U.S. I got to tell you what they're known for and which wineries to visit. I haven't been to all of them yet, so a few are still on my bucket list. I love it. And I love how comprehensive it is. Like we were saying, we write so much and we have so much content, but also as a reader, a lot of things are scattered. So it's nice to have a comprehensive guide where you could go, okay, this is what's recommended. Let's see if this is a good fit and let's just plan this. So that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm excited. Excellent. Excellent. Nadine, I had a blast talking to you. Tell everyone how we can connect with you and keep in touch with all the things that you're up to next. Yes, thank you. So my blog is thesophisticatedlife.com. On Facebook, I'm The Sophisticated Life. And on Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, I am The Sophist Life. So I look forward to um, people joining in and following along with my adventures, travel, food, and wine adventures. 